Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast with Hal Elrod. I'm your host, Nick Polkuski, and you're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you take your life to the next level faster than you ever thought possible. In each episode, you will learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals that most haven't. He is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Miracle Morning, a Hall of Fame business achiever, an international keynote speaker, ultra-marathon runner, and the founder of VIPSuccessCoaching.com, Mr. Hal Elra. All right. Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, uh, listeners, goal achievers. This is Hal Elrod, your host, and uh, I'm fired up for today because the gentleman that I'm going to introduce you to... Um, how do I even, I don't even know how to start this. I should have really prepared. Uh, he, he's not only an inspiration, he's someone that, uh, well, l- let me start here. You all know that I'm a huge fan of mixed martial arts and the UFC. And when I started watching the UFC, uh, there was these, uh, these guys that were always at every UFC show. Uh, and they always had, uh, you could recognize them in the crowd. You know, one of them had their face painted. Uh, one of them, uh, you know, looked real tough. And then one of them had like a crazy wig. And you, just, you always recognize them. And, and they actually were the co-founders of a company that is called Tapout. You may have heard of Tapout. It's, it's, it's an international brand now. And it started actually as a clothing company in 1997 when my guest Dan Caldwell and his partner put what little money they had back then together. And they started selling T-shirts out. Out of their trunk okay I mean they had the American dream started selling t-shirts out of their trunk I don't know if anybody imagined the heights they would rise but they built a not just a multi-million dollar company but a company that has mil- hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and I believe that uh, Dan correct me if I'm wrong but I think yeah you sold you, you founded tap out you sold tap out for a hundred million dollars at some point is that right well we can't talk about that oh you can't talk about that all right no but uh, yeah, let's just say we sold it for a lot of money. You sold it for a lot of money, uh, but you but you're, you're you're great. You remained on as the president of the company, right? So you are still the co-founder and president of Tapout. Um, and I want to keep going because Dan, uh, he's been featured on CNN, Fox Business, Bloomberg News, a CNBC Business Special. You may have seen him on the Tony Robbins infomercial, which I, I've seen and I was watching it one night at like two in the morning. I'm like, dude, that's Dan Caldwell. No way. Um, he's been featured in Forbes, uh, Forbes, sorry, Inc. Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, you name it. He is a well-respected business genius and he's kind of transitioned. He's done, uh, been doing acting and producing movies. Uh, he worked on Lion Gate's movie Warrior, among many others, uh, he's, uh, as well as the Tap Out TV series. And he's the host of his own Tap Out radio show on Sirius XM. And uh, he also is a, an entrepreneur. He owns and operates several businesses, which include Caldwell and Taylor Realty, uh, a, a yogurt franchise called Chills, uh, and a private investment group. Uh, he has a website, Lessons.biz and Mentor Mojo. And he is a Southern California resident, although I know his house is all over the country. But uh, he's a proud father of three. And uh, Dan Caldwell now speaks to thousands every year with a real big focus, not only business audiences, but I know he gives back a lot by speaking and inspiring the youth. And he travels around the world to tell his amazing story and share the wisdom that he's gained uh, over the years. And now I'm really excited to introduce you to Dan. And we're fortunate to get to hear that story and that wisdom from the man himself. So Dan, thank you uh, for being on the podcast today. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, Al. Yeah, you're welcome, my friend. Well, <laughs> let's let's uh, let's do this. Let's start with. Um, I always start with what I call humble beginnings and defining moments. And it's 
the idea that you know we're all born with unlimited potential, but somewhere along the way, most people resign themselves to settling for a life of mediocrity. And yet there's this small percentage of people, which you're undoubtedly one of, that at some point in their lives, they experience a defining moment, or maybe it's a series of defining moments, maybe it's a conversation or a realization, but it causes them to realize that they can become great, that they can achieve extraordinary success in their lives. And so I would love to hear, share your story. What was your life like before you had that realization? And what was that defining moment for you? Well, I think, you know, and I never I never thought that I could become great. I don't think that that was kind of the mentality. It was just that I wanted something better than what I the cards I'd been dealt. I knew there was something better out there. You know, you you get inspired by watching television or seeing articles or just, you know, for me it was it, it, I think it really started when I was like 10 years old and I just see my friends. I I was I lived in kind of well, when I was born, I grew up in a house that was my parents also, or my mom also grew up in. So she had lived there since she was like 12 years old. And over the years, that neighborhood became uh, gang-ridden and very poor and impoverished. And, and there were so many drive-bys that they would block off my neighborhood and not even let people drive down that street unless you live there. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, I can remember one of my earliest memories, my dad dragging me out of my bed as there was a drive-by going on, and um, he, uh, I used to have a bunk bed, and he would lay this one-inch thick plexiglass on top, just worried that rounds coming through the roof might hit me in my sleep, or wow. me and my brother. But I never felt in danger, so I don't want people to believe that, like, I was, you know, it was like shots going off every day, or you walked outside, and, you know, your gang members just standing out on the corner on a regular, but it wasn't like that at all. Um, yeah, I felt I went outside and played every day and I enjoyed my friends and I grew up in kind of a, um, a mostly, well, I mean, I would say, a 50% white, 50% black neighborhood. And so a lot of my friends were black and, and I would, even though I wasn't like inspired to do some of the things that they had been left, you know, that a lot of them were doing because of their situation. Some of them lived in a little bit worse neighborhoods because I lived actually lived in a home. They lived in some apartments that were right next store to mine. Hmm. And, uh, I, I mean, they were dealing whatever I was dealing with. It was twice as bad right where they were. And so I can remember from a young age, uh, wanting to just be in a better neighborhood because I had a couple friends from my parents' church. And by the way, my parents are still together and I had a great family upbringing is when I would come home and those doors closed, we, you know, we went to church and we had a really good family upbringing. And so I'd always had these friends who'd went to church and I remember them living in nicer places and some of them living in these really big homes. And I always wanted that for us. I always questioned why, you know, why, why do they get to live like that? Why do they get to live in these nice homes? And I, I would be embarrassed sometimes when my parents would drive because we had always had these really, really bad cars, cars that were donated to us by our church. And and I remember driving to school and just be really embarrassed that my parents were driving, you know, dropping us off in these cars and, and kids would kind of make fun of us a little bit. Not, not super bad, but I probably felt worse than they actually cared. You yeah. know, they probably really didn't care, yeah. but I was so embarrassed that it just, it affected me. And I, and I just knew that I was, I, I mean, it, it, it hurt so bad that I can steal like right now I feel it, you know, huh. like it so bad. 
that I just knew I was going to fight my way out of this place, whatever it took. And growing up, I'd always tried to earn that. You know, I'd always had this relationship with, with, with um, uh, like having chores and making some money. So I was always trying to earn that extra dollar. You know, I got a dollar for making my bed and I got, you know, 50 cents for taking out the trash and different things that I would earn money for. And I knew that if I, if I could create, like I had this carnival when I was like 12 years old or eight years old in, inside my garage and I would charge all the neighborhood kids to come play, you know, knock down the pins and, <laughs> uh, you know, just these different things, these different games. I'd, you know, throw the beanbag through the hole, you know, and I would charge them. And, and I had these prizes that I'd find in my toy box and to give away. And I was always just trying to make that extra dollar. And when I was, I remember being in junior high, I started a, a DJ business and, and I had, I was by the time I was in twelfth grade, I was making more money than my parents DJing. That's funny. So just, I don't know that I just, knew that we had that in common. That I, I started a DJ business in high school. I wasn't making more money than my parents, but but I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that. I was doing that too. So interesting. Keep going. Yeah. So that was that was it. You know, I just always wanted something better for myself, and I was always looking for what that vessel was going to be. I didn't know exactly what it would be. I just. I, 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 you know, I was constantly, even in high school, I knew I wasn't going to be the best student. Yeah. I didn't have a desire for, you know, I, if I had that desire to be a great student, I probably should have been. I'd never denounce higher education because I, I know how important it is. It just, for me, I, when you don't have interest in it, it's hard to, to concentrate. And I wasn't a great reader either. So I, I, I remember ditching school and going to, um, to, to talk to entrepreneurs like that own businesses. And I would ask them if I could talk to them about their business. Hmm. Uh, one time I was in Lake Arrowhead with my parents and, and I thought I was, I wanted to own like a subway, like, Oh man, that's the big payday, right? I'm going to own this subway. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I, I saw this guy who looked like he was the owner of the subway. And I'd asked him, Hey, you know, do you think if I ever came up here, I could talk to you for a few minutes about your business. And he said, sure. And one day I ditched school and I went up there in Lake Arrowhead, which is about an hour and a half hour from me. And, uh, and I, he gave me like 30 minutes of his time and I sat down with him and had some questions for him. And one thing I learned is I, he told me how much he made. And I was like, I never want to open a subway. That's not what I want to do. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the fantasy that you'd imagined it to be. No, he said like you had, he owned like five subways. He said to really even, he said he was just breaking even wow. at five subways he, or like he was just starting to make money. I should say he was yeah. just starting to make a living after owning five subways. He said one subway, you'll barely pay the bills. Wow. And, uh, it, it takes two subways to break even and then three to actually make a little bit of money. So just by the time you had five subways, he was actually living kind of, you know, decently, but he wasn't like he, he didn't, you know, he wasn't driving a Ferrari or living in a mansion or anything. Sure. He your your vision of a better life that that didn't didn't quite cut it. <laughs> yeah, no, but you you didn't go you didn't go into you didn't go straight into being an entrepreneur. If I remember correctly, you went into law enforcement first. Talk, talk about that journey from, you know, law enforcement to starting this, you know, multi-million dollar company. Well, when I graduated from high school, I should say when I was actually in, still in high school, I was taking two elective classes that, well, three actually, speech. Um, uh, there was an, I had lied about my, my, where I'd lived so I could go to Redlands High School where all the rich kids went and the pretty girls went. Okay. So uh, I started going to Redlands High School, which <laughs> nice. was out of my neighborhood. 
but it was a really nice school and they had these cool electives. I had heard they had this entrepreneurial elective. So I signed up for that, but I had to take one more elective and one of them happened to be law enforcement. Now I had no interest of in being a police officer at all when I took that class. Yeah. I just thought it was an easy class okay. uh, because somebody had told me you didn't have to do any work in it. There were no tests <laughs> or nothing. So all you did was sit in this class and listen to this ex-female homicide detective tell stories. Okay. And she just discussed the stories with you. And I thought, man, this is a great class. All I got to do is sit around and listen. I mean, I can at least do that. Yeah. And she told the most incredible stories that I'd ever heard of, you know, chasing bad guys and capturing homicides and, um, you know, foot chases and car chases and detective work and, I, and being able to carry a gun. And I just thought, man, this is, this is pretty cool. And it kind of had a lot of the, it had the parts of being an entrepreneur, the kind of freedom a little bit, you know, not be, being behind a desk anyway, and um, the ability to think on your own a little bit and go out there and kind of uh, make your own choices. Huh. And I, I love that part of the business, right? That's why a lot of us want to be entrepreneurs, to have a little bit of freedom, a yeah. little, you know, have some of our own decision making. And so I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to try this. And so I, I, I became an explorer with the sheriff's department and eventually that led to me going to the, I saved up every, I was working as a, um, as an ice cream scooper at, you remember thrifty? I don't know if you remember. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Thrifty. So I, I used to be an ice cream scooper there. It was the most horrible job <laughs> because you just sit there constantly. I had the strong, I still have the strongest wrists of today. I can beat anybody in, in, uh, in, uh, arm wrestling because of the strong wrists I built up from ice cream scooping. <laughs> 20 years ago. I've seen you, man. You've got some guns. So that, that's all thrifty. <laughs> that's from thrifty ice cream scooper. <laughs> awesome. But uh, I just, uh, I, so I was this, um, so I, I was saving every penny from being that ice cream scooper so I could put myself through the police academy. And it cost about $3,000. And I ended up putting myself through the police academy and ultimately got hired on as a police officer. And I thought that that was it. This is it. This is what I'm going to do. You found a career. Yeah. I found it. Yeah. This is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And I loved it. I love patrol. I still love it today. I would, if I could go back and do it, except for besides all the tattoos down to my knuckles and my ne up to my neck, um, <laughs> uh, you know, or up to my chin, I would, uh, I would, if I, I didn't have those, I'd probably go back and be a reserve police officer or something. But well, you could do undercover that, work, right? You could just, I probably could. And I'd offered my services too for it. Yeah. But they didn't take me up on it. They didn't take you up on it. No, they probably probably the the the, the recognition of people go, dude, you're the CEO of Tap Out. You're not a drug dealer. Get out of here, man. I <laughs> know uh, exactly. That's funny. So, but, um, uh, all right. So you're got, how? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying. So after that, I I I was working as a police officer for a few years, and um and I started to get a little bit disappointed about how law enforcement was, you know, how everything went down. I just wanted to help people. I was, you know, I, as I said, I was brought up well and I felt like that I really wanted to help people and I didn't feel like that's what I was doing. Okay. I felt like I was out there arresting people and ruining people's lives. Hmm. You know, they were, they were, I was taking people's cars away from them. They were losing their jobs, uh, splitting up families. Hmm. You know, I'm taking people to jail as kids are screaming and crying, holding onto their dad's legs. And, you hmm. know, I know you got to do what you got to do. It's part of your job, but even things, some things I just didn't have, I didn't have the ability to make that choice. Yeah. Uh, we, we had a, a standing rule that like when someone had a suspended driver's license, you had to tow their car. 
and I and I knew when I towed their car, it would be impounded for 30 days, and they'd probably never be able to afford to get it out because it was, you know, six seven hundred dollars to get it out of impound. The car's only worth thirty five hundred bucks, hmm. and they're just never going to get it out of impound. They don't have the money. They don't have an extra six or seven hundred dollars laying around. So I, when I when I arrest this dude for having driving on a suspended license and take his car from him. He's going to lose his job. He'll probably lose the place that he lives. I mean, I just, the things that happen, the domino effect that happens because of that arrest, it just didn't feel like I was doing what I'd set out to do. And, um, and I think my work started to diminish and I was probably too young to be a cop anyway. I was like 23 years old and I was, I was probably a little cocky and, um, uh, and some things happened. I got written up and I eventually, I was on probation and I lost my job. Hmm. And I thought that my life was over. I thought I was never going to be able to be a cop again. And I was pretty much done. And I, I felt ruined. I felt like you couldn't tell me that my life, you know, like, you know, how some kids break, uh, you know, uh, 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 boyfriend, girlfriend break up in high school and they think their lives are just over. They're sure. hanging over the couch, you know, unconsolable. That's yeah. how I was. I, I, I was, no one could tell me any different. I had people calling me, telling me, you know, you can get hired again, everything will be okay, and I was just heading the pillow, life is over, gun in the mouth, ready to end it all, I was done, and, um, and then things, and then I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to my original dream, which was, I'm going to start my own business, There you go. and I, I, I kind of I got a job as a cop again, but it wasn't the job I wanted. It was, a, you know, being a college police officer, and I was working part-time at a, at a casino, too, uh, just trying to make ends meet, trying to make money. And, uh, but during that time I was a police officer uh, for the police department, I, before, before I got fired, I was, um, I was a defensive tactics instructor. I was helping the defensive tactics instructors with training. So it's, you know, hand-to-hand -hand, uh, combat for police yeah. officers. And my best friend, who I'd been friends with for probably five years at that time, uh, Charles, Charles. Uh, Lewis, was, had become a deputy during that time. I had talked him into becoming a deputy. I was like, man, you would be a great police officer. You should do this with me. So you guys and were friends. You didn't meet at the force. You were already friends. Yeah, we were already friends. We were for different police departments. Okay. We didn't work for the same. He, was, he worked for the sheriff's department. Got it. And we just became, you know, even closer during that time because we were talking about police work all the time. And, um, and we started uh, 1993, we saw the very first UFC on television yeah. and we became instant fans. And a week later we were, we had found out where the Gracie studio was. And a week later we were training with Hoist Gracie. Training jujitsu. Ju training jujitsu with Hoist Gracie. And it was probably the, you know, best experience of our lives. We just loved it. We loved everything about it. We wanted to be doing it all the time. We used to send moves to each other and talk to, you know, everything we talked about was always about a new move and how we could figure out how to do this move that we saw on video or it was always a jujitsu talk that yeah. became our new focus. And, and, then, and then when, the, when did it transition into the, the idea for, for the t-shirt company? Well, during that time, is you know, I was still a police officer, and um, and during that time, I got fired, and I went back to you know, kind of doing this work just to get by this uh, college police officer work and uh, and work at the casino. But I was still teaching defensive tactics to like the casino people, and I was working with different people, and plus I was going to train at the jail. He was still working for the police department at the time, 
And I remember having this conversation with Charles where we were talking about the Gracies and how many T-shirts they were selling. Okay. And it was just incredible. And every time you go in there, I mean, these guys just standing at this little tiny glass counter buying Gracie T-shirts. Even people that didn't train there, people were coming in off the street. Imagine walking into a, a martial arts studio just to walk into the back counter so you could go to the glass counter and buy a couple of Gracie shirts and then leave. Okay. Uh, people were flying from out of the country, Japanese, uh, all over the world were coming in to just come in there and buy T-shirts and maybe watch a little bit of the guys train. Yeah. So your wheels start turning, okay? Yeah. So our wheels are turning about – and these shirts were – they were like – you know, it was their logo, which is literally a circle with a triangle and like two stick figures inside of it. And they were so basic, but also only Gracie people could wear these T-shirts. So if you were, if you trained at like a bunch of the other studios that were popping up at this time by like 1996, uh, you know, considering that the UFC first UFC was in 1993. So like, uh, you're talking three years later, yeah. all these studios, all these people from Brazil started migrating up to open their own studios. Plus you had like, uh, guys like, uh, uh the shark tank, uh, which was Eddie Millis. And, um, and you also had, uh, the lion's den or you had, um, Ken Shamrock yeah. opening up. So you had all these different places opening up that you couldn't wear a Gracie shirt at. So okay. they had to sell their own shirts. So, okay. you know, at the Lion's Den, you had a Lion's Den shirt. At the, you know, Machado's, you had a Machado shirt. Uh, depending on where you were training, they, they, everybody had their own shirt. We thought, what if you could create a shirt that everybody could wear? Hmm. So no matter where you were, it became kind of the generic version. I don't like you generic in sure. the way that it's meaningless. Universal. But, yeah. How about universal? Better word. Thanks, Yeah, Al. there you go. You must have went to college. Yeah, for like a semester. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a so this universal shirt that anybody could wear, and that and that's what we just and once it we said it once we said it out loud, it it kind of wasn't even really I I, I got to it's hard to explain how it's how it came about the first time we just said it we were just talking, and then every day after that we just kept coming back to that idea and the conversations on the phone were, yeah, you know, and, and, and we started eyeing out what designs would look like and what the shirt would be like. And, and, and pretty soon we, we said, what if we just put some money together and we just start, let's just make some shirts. So your conversations we'll had friends. gone from always focusing on the next jujitsu move to like, dude, let's make some t-shirts and what could the logo be and what could the name be and what could the design be? Right. Just start, brainstorming yeah absolutely in fact the idea for the the first name for the company was warrior caliber okay. it wasn't even tap out okay um not as catchy so i'm glad you guys went tap out yeah right it was like oh warrior caliber and we uh, had this cool drawing even the logo looked better uh, um but um charles's license plate was tap out oh really that, yeah that, oh wow okay so every time we would drive to his um, or to our, our training sessions out in Torrance, which took us about an hour to get there, it, we would get all these honks. You know, people would stick their hands out the window, tap out, and they'd be yelling out the window. And we just thought, man, we never thought about it, but how catchy that really is and how it's a single word, kind of like the brands that we were looking up to, like Adidas yeah. and Nike and Hurley and all those brands that were out there at the time. So we thought, man, maybe 
the tap out name would actually be better. So for a minute, we were actually making both shirts. We had warrior caliber and tap out shirts. Okay. And which is great. Which is, by the way, great. I mean, there's a lot of great lessons here in terms of, you know, you guys just being aware, paying attention, doing something that was within your passion. Uh, and then right here, split testing, right? Like you're, you're way ahead of your time, dude. I don't, I don't know the word split testing was invented, <laughs> Dan, when you guys were split testing two different brands. That's, that's fantastic. We had no idea what we were doing. We dude. were just doing it. We had no idea. We had knew nothing about clothing, nothing about printing T-shirts. Nothing about where to get them designed. I mean, our artists were like, he had an artist that worked in the jail where he worked and happened to just be an artist. And so he was drawing some stuff. And we had another guy that was a friend of um, my girlfriend's at the time. And he happened to be an artist. And they weren't even good artists. They could just draw, you know, like, you know, the guy in high school that can sketch out a, a decent action figure. Yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> That's all they could do. And so they were drawing these. I mean, if you ever look at some of our early tap out shirts, it's, it's crazy. We sold any, like they were really, really, really bad, <laughs> but on. we just, we just, so we started making some shirts and we would go to these small jujitsu tournaments and small events and we would sell the shirts and we started just online. Uh, you know, this is before the dot bust. And um, we just started putting, so we, we created a website. We didn't even have e-commerce. We just had a phone number. And the phone number, our first year in 1997, we had it where you just called a, um, this martial arts studio that had our shirts in stock. And then they would take the order from you. And then in 1998, we knew it was going to grow. We, you know, we were growing the business a little bit. And, uh, and then so we took it in-house and we started doing it in-house. And, uh, and then by 1999, we were, I mean, pretty much running on our own and, uh, we didn't use them at all. We created, we did everything through the internet. Wow. So, I mean, two guys that knew nothing next to nothing about business, right? I mean, Char Charles wasn't some master's degree in business either, right? I mean, he was a, he was a police officer like you. Oh yeah. He, he knew less about business than me. He didn't even want, he didn't want anything to do about the, with the business. He was the, we kind of, what was great is when you, you know, having a partner, we had sectioned off kind of like what we were good at. What are you good at? What am I good at? What are we going to handle? Um, and Charles was, uh, I felt like the marketing, the personable, the uh, relationship guy and the creative guy. So uh, he dealt with like designs and uh, the logos and uh, anything, uh, the website that had any type of design to it. And I handled most of the business stuff, anything that had to do with business, um, the warehouse, um, any, you know, I was pretty much dealing with the day-to-day -day stuff and anything that had to do with the business. Got it. So, I mean, what, this is by definition, humble beginnings. In fact, you could probably, you know, almost drop it a notch below. Like you grew up in a really rough area, you know, I mean, pr pretty rough drive-bys. I, I didn't have that. I grew up in a small mountain town with a bunch of, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I didn't have any kind of, any kind of adversity like that where, uh, my dad's putting plexiglass to protect against, you know, a potential stray bullet. So you came from, you know, beneath humble beginnings, really a challenging, uh, background. And then I love, you know, this story. I normally, uh, you know, dive a little bit more into content with guests, but I really wanted you to share, like, you know, I wanted to, to, to get our listeners to understand kind of where you came from, you know, that those humble beginnings and that whatever, whatever their big goals or dreams are, uh, you know, you're a perfect example that it doesn't matter where you came from and it doesn't matter what your past has been. 
right? The future can be whatever you want it to be. Um, I'd love, let's transition right now into, and we got to talk before the, the podcast recording started, so I'm excited for what you're about to share. Uh, give us your three best keys to that have, that have enabled you to achieve such great success that our listeners can apply to, to their own goals. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this, and you know, I was, I was saying how, you know, every, even though I didn't have them written down, I, I felt like everybody should have that written down. I, I didn't, you know, I couldn't believe I couldn't find it somewhere on my phone. I was, <laughs> I was looking around like, oh, I got to have some keys like that somewhere that I've taken notes in a, in a seminar or something somewhere, but I didn't. And um, so it was nice that you made me put these down somewhere. Yeah, or there I you could, go. I could uh, keep, them in, keep them in my head and I can reflect on them. But, um, you know, I think, first of all, it was constantly educating myself because I wasn't because I didn't go to college because I didn't have that higher education. I always felt like I needed to do something to better myself to, because I was my I was always thinking about my competition and how um, I you know how they were probably educated. You know, I built up I needed to have you remember, you know, the Diaz brothers, how they need to have an enemy. They're always talking yeah, shit about. Sure, someone. sure. Like I, I need to have that enemy in my head. And, and I'm always building them up to be bigger and smarter and stronger. And, and how do I defeat them? How do I go against them? And I knew that they're more educated. So I'm constantly listening to books or I'm, I'm you know, back then I can remember having the CD, you know, this big CD player hanging on my side while I was at the gym listening to <laughs> Tony Robbins CD, you know, just trying to better myself and create this mentality. I mean, I would get so amped up. Um, one time I broke the windshield in my, in my van because I was so, I punched, I was like, I can do this. And I'm yelling and I'm, and I'm driving, I'm hit the window in front of me and I'm, I'm crying. I'm actually crying. I'm like, tears are coming down my face and I'm listening to, you know, this, this CD and I punched the window and I'm, and I, and the window broke it like, I didn't think you could break a windshield from hitting it. I thought it was a lot stronger than that. Dude, all those, all those thrifty ice cream scoops. Remember the wrist that that's how you did that. Well, and and by the way, there's, I mean, the passion that you, I I mean, I think that that, you know, that, that almost goes without saying just the passion that you have, that you brought to, to your dreams and your vision early on. But so, so your first tip, always educate yourself. Um, and I th- you said earlier that you, that reading was, was challenging for you. So, uh, you, you, you've really leveraged audios, correct? And you still do to this day? Yeah. I mean, now it's a, if I'm in the gym, you're not going to find me driving, listening to music or, in, or in the gym, listening to music. Every time, if I got headphones in my head, on my head, I'm listening to either a podcast or I'm listening to a book. Got it. That's, and I'm just constantly trying to learn what I don't know because I'm, I, I, you know, we don't ever know everything. Sure. And, uh, and, and I feel like the best guy, the best CEOs in the world, the best business people in the world, even the, the best educators, anybody is constantly trying to learn um, because we're always innovating and there's always something new to be learned. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's how you and I reconnected. I mean, reconnect, we reconnected at Josh Ship's event for youth speakers, you know, probably a year right. or so ago. So I yeah. Mean, yeah, we were both investing time, money, and energy in in self education, like you're talking about. Um, all right. So number one, always educate yourself. And anything else to uh, to add to that, or or you want to jump into number two? No, just constantly educating yourself. If anybody can do it, there's no excuses why we can't do that. We're in the car it, with podcasts. It just made it easier um, to 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 find somebody that you know you. It, it, there's tons of people out there that know more than us or that have something to teach us. And we can always find those guys, whether it be on podcasts and, 
and the way that they're streaming now through our cars, it just makes it that much easier. So we have no excuses not to be doing that. Okay, awesome. All right. And then, uh, um, what else? My second one is um, uh, this no plan B mentality. Okay. I, I used to have, the, me, and, me and Charles used to sit in um, Carl's Jr. in Corona, California, and we would sit there and talk from like, we'd have lunch there. And then we would talk so long, we'd have dinner there. And then we'd close <laughs> the place down at 11 o'clock. Wow. They were having to throw us out of there because they, they were closing. And it was just us constantly talking through our ideas. And we were so passionate about what we were doing. I mean, we were just excited about every single day. And a lot of, and we had so many reasons to quit throughout the, you know, along the way. We didn't have the money. We were self-capitalized. People were trying to take our trademark. We were dealing with attorneys. We had back bills. Um, credit card companies were coming after us. It was just there were so many reasons to quit along the way. And if we hadn't created this and cultivated this no plan B mentality, where um, you know this uh, burn the ships mentality. I love I love that story about Cortez and yeah. and burning the ships. And I I I just always felt like that that I created strength within myself when I thought that way. I like we're in this like we're in a um, in a foxhole and we're fighting our way out and we're we're either going to we're either going to win or we're going to die trying. Mm. That was the only way we were going to, you know, be successful. And we would always say it. we'd walk around ourselves and when something would happen, I can still hear Charles in my head saying, no plan B. And he'd be yelling <laughs> at me across the way as I'm getting in my car and he's getting in his car and we'd be yelling it back and forth to each other just trying to always keep that mentality in our head because everybody will give you a reason to quit your parents you know they'll it's it, i mean i can't count how many times my parents said you know what it's okay dan you can come back and get a job yeah you know it's it's you know if you if it's that hard you know because they would catch me on a bad day and i would just be stressed out to no end yeah. and i probably look stressed out and i was you know because everything you know i'm dealing with you know by the by the time we were done i had 165 employees um, uh, at my office and I was, you know, it's a lot to work to deal with and plus all, you know, payroll and everything that's going on in your life. But that was, but all along the way, it's hard when you have 10 employees, it's payrolls hard. When you have so, no employees and you're going, shit, yeah. we need some employees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you're trying to make your house payment. You know, there's always something going on that's, that's trying to mess with you. But I always feel like that the goods outweigh the bad and the good days are always better, you know, a thousand times better than the worst days. And I, and I know that people will, you know, your friends want to give you a way out. Every, the haters are trying to give you a way out. Everybody thinks it's okay to quit. And if you don't cultivate that no plan B mentality that I can't quit, that there is no quit, there is no plan B, then you'll give yourself a way to quit. You'll make it easy and you will, and you'll walk away. Yeah. And as long as you, um, you know, and, and you can pivot and there's things that happen in your business that cause you to make changes. I've closed doors to businesses, but it didn't mean I quit. I'm still here. I'm still yeah. an entrepreneur and I'm still pushing. But uh, you know, I had a business that I couldn't fix and it had to be closed. And I had uh, products that didn't sell and we had to pull them off the market. That's, that's fine. That yeah. thing didn't work, but I'm not quitting. You're not, there's no quit in me. I love it. That's something I tell my, my son. He has a mantra, 
never give up and he's three years old and he always goes never give up never give up you I know love it. um yeah man so uh cultivation him that because that's that's exactly what i want to teach my kids yeah or that's exactly what i teach my kids the same thing and and you, we, when we have our kids and we teach our kids like that you know a lot of us didn't have that growing up yeah. we, we grew up in kind of a working mentality where you're just like hey just show up yeah that was how you won it was like oh everybody did a good job oh everybody gets a trophy you know i'm like screw that Where's this, you know, what, what made us the greatest nation in the world is this competition, this, uh, you know, you're on the prairie and you either make it or you die. Yeah. That's what made us the, the best nation in the world is that we built that mentality. And then somewhere along the way, it became, hey, you know, you just show up. You did a good job, Johnny. And here's a trophy for trying. Yeah. You know, it's, that's not what that's not what America's about. That's not what we're about or anybody is about that, you know, who's trying to be successful. Just showing up isn't enough. No, life's gotten cushy. And if you think about it, like, yeah, if you, if you really go back to when we were hunters, like, there was no plan B, right? Oh, yeah. You, you, you hunted or you died. That's exactly. There was no plan B. And life's got my, my, uh, my, my executive assistant and I were talking today, and she was uh, kind of she was la- laughing at herself and going, yeah, I'm so ridiculous. I was, just, I was just feeling how happy that Facebook made it so that now I don't have to log in. I can just touch my screen or, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like she, you know, and uh, just like it's true. We, we've got like life has gotten so, so cushy. And, and it's so important to cultivate that, uh, you know, in your first in yourself. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, if, if you're a parent, man, cultivate it in your in your kids. And if you're not a parent, cultivate it in yourself and then in your friends and, and in your employees and. Um, all of the above. So I love that no plan B mentality. And that's, uh, you know, I, I would imagine, Dan, I mean, that says a lot about you and Charles, because a lot of people I would imagine that had a plan B mentality would have given up at probably, you know, probably dozens of junctures on your journey, right? Oh, it's so I mean, we would have quit for sure. I mean, I wanted to quit. There were times I can remember, I remember at one point, I had thrown all the furniture in our office out into the parking lot. And I was sitting on the curb and I was just kind of, I was, I was up, I was emotional and I was, I thought we're done. There's no way to get out of this. Hmm. We're done as a business. I've tried everything I've could. I've been on the phone for two weeks trying to deal with this problem. And basically we're done as a company. I can't see any way out of it. And and it was weird because when you have a partner, it's so great when you have a partner because you can call your partner on your down day and he would call you on his down day. And uh, this one call to my partner who, hadn't, who I hadn't really put through this problem because I didn't want to let, leave, these, live, leave this on his shoulders. You know, that's why we were great partners because he would handle his piece and I would handle my piece. Hmm. And when I finally had to tell him, I said, I, I laid it out to him for like 20 minutes and he gave me one piece of advice and I implemented that advice and I made this phone call to this person who, uh, who was kind of a mentor and somebody who we were looking up to, looking up to at the time. Mm-hmm. And he, he fixed the problem in one phone call. Hmm. He made one call to a creditor and the next day we were, the whole problem was fixed. A problem that seemingly could not be defeated or not not fixed, and I'd been working on it for two weeks. There's no way around it, yeah. and I'm done. I I can't even figure. I don't want to quit, but I don't have a choice at this point. We're done. We're in no way. We're two months behind on rent, and there's no way we're going to be able to get out of this hole. And uh, and they're coming to lock the doors. Yeah. And so, 
at that point I was done. But one phone call to my partner, and uh, and he he was he fixed it all. And you, fa- you know you because of, he was in a good place. His head was in a good place. No plan B. Yeah, yeah, and there's and there's always a way when you're committed, you know. But you got to stay committed, and 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 that uh, doesn't mean that you don't feel like quitting. It just means that you don't quit. You know that you don't give up. What uh, what's what's the third tip? Uh, I know you talked about your. I mean, I know for you, relationships is a big deal, and I know I know this is kind of where you're going to go with this. So, what is your third key uh, that has enabled you to be so successful despite the odds? Well, I, I, you know, I I think some of the, me and Charles would talk about what we credit our success to and a huge part of our success came from the relationships that we had because you know as much as we wanted to say nobody helped us nobody helped us nobody did anything for us we made this ourselves we built this ourselves we were self-capitalized we didn't take money from nobody we built this company as much as we want to say that, the truth is every time we went to get something done, some other person was involved in that situation, whether it was making that relationship with the UFC and getting on there, you know, creating that relationship with them, or if it was um, getting advertising on billboards and dealing with, you know, our pricing or whether we were trying to get ads for next to nothing or a trade off, you know, some sort of trade off with some ad company, I mean, all that stuff takes relationships. And we were able to do some things that if I told, if I put it out there, I mean, I've even been told by people, please don't say anything about this because they were so generous hmm. to us when we built our company that it was, it's almost people wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it when people turn down $50,000 because of a, that, because you made such a great relationship and such an impact on them with just little things, just sending something to their house that didn't cost you but a hundred bucks or, or that phone call when they needed it most or, or you were there for them when they were down and now they're up and they're, they're willing to help you out in a way that, uh, uh, you know, that you can't even explain because uh, something like that could make or break your company. So relationships for us were so important, and I just I, I can't put enough emphasis on how important it is that people think that um, that you can just you know you can't go around uh, just bad mouthing people. You can't talk about people behind their back. There's a certain way that you deal with every single relationship that you have, and and it's not it, nothing should be casual. Nothing. What do you mean by that? Nothing should be casual. Well, a lot of people think that they can go into a meeting and it's just we would prepare for a meeting for two hours. We would sit and talk about the scenario and how we were going to talk to this person. And, and you remember this person and, and scrape it's your, you know, scrape was our third partner and scrape, scrape it's, uh, it's your job to remember all their names. So if I forget a name, the only, your only job is to remember every person's name in there. <laughs> nice. So I'm going to tap you to, you know, I'll ask you who this guy's name is. Your job, Charles, is to make sure we, you know, get this part of, of this deal done. And my job is to, is to open the meeting and, and, you know, create this conversation from the get-go, you know, explain our situation and what our business is about. So, you know, we all had this, these, these roles, but it was, it was nothing was casual. We didn't walk into a meeting like, hey, guys, we're just here to meet with you guys. What's up, man? Here's our thing. You know, even if it wasn't a formal meeting, just a casual, a, a dinner meeting, a dinner, hey, let's get together was important to us. A dinner, let's get together took an hour of preparation for us. 
because that's how important it was. Nothing was casual with us. If we met with Lorenzo Fertitta, who's, who was just kind of seemingly a friend, we never forgot that this dude's a billionaire who owns the UFC. Yeah. And, and nothing's casual about us hanging out with him for 20 minutes at, uh, you know, at a bar and talking about, um, about what we're going to do with the tap out brand. Nothing's casual about that. It's very deliberate. Everything that we say to him, how we talk to him, how we leave that meeting, the things that we say to him when we walk away, the texts that we send to him afterwards, the, the, the gift that we may send to him, all that stuff is deliberate. Wow. That, that's and, a, and, and in a real way, because these guys, I don't want to, I don't want to think, I don't want anybody to think that it's like contrived and didn't really mean something to us. We were real friends with these people, and we never said anything we didn't mean. And we, we, I mean, we would these these people would call crying to us, and we would not Lorenzo Fertitta. Was <laughs> so Lorenzo? Dan said yeah. you cried a lot to him. <laughs> uh. No, but I mean, these uh, on occasion we had fighters that would call us crying. Because they thought, you know, their career was over or because they didn't, they didn't perform like they were supposed to or like they wanted to. And they would – and those were the – that's how close we were to these guys. That's how close we are to these guys. That's what made the difference. These guys were our friends. They weren't business relationships. They were our friends. Yeah. Dude, there's, you, 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 you added on like three powerful lessons there at the end after the lesson that you shared, which – uh, you know, the, the idea that you guys were extraordinarily intention, thoughtful and intentional and, and to put that into action, it was through preparation, right? You really thought through every relationship and every interaction and every meeting and all of that. So there was a level of thoughtfulness and, and intentionality that I think a lot of people, yeah, just, yeah, you know, they just show up and, and they see what happens. So I, th- I think that's pretty, pretty profound. Yeah, thanks, man. That, and, it's, and it's so true. And we had to, you know, we stumbled on that. But I know everybody has it in them. When they actually think about it, they realize how important relationships are. Back to uh, the caveman days, you know, it's like that's how everybody created these relationships where they sat with people, and and those sometimes those things they could get you killed. It was, uh, it was, you know, the the things that were on the line were, you know, lives and 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 relationships are so important. Even nowadays, with the political relationships that we have those relationships could end the world tomorrow. Yeah. So if you don't take them serious, um, your, your business will implode around you. Yeah. Yeah. Really important. And I think I was, I was just talking actually again to my executive assistant, Tiffany today. Um, I, uh, I, I ended up a friend or a guy that I met at an event last year. And then I've been adding value for him in any way I can. In fact, he, he wants to write a book. So the other day we, he asked me if I, he could pick my brain for like 10 minutes and I stayed on the phone with him for an hour and I gave him everything that I could possibly give him in, in terms of my knowledge around book writing. And, mm-hmm. um, anyway, then he makes this introduction yesterday that could lead to, you know, selling hundreds of thousands of copies of the miracle morning. Wow. And uh, I just and it just it, we, the connection happened today when when Tiffany was at my office working with me and I was just like you know I go gosh you hear this you know you hear the importance <laughs> of relationships for you always hear it when you're studying success and how important it is you but you don't get it until you experience it you know and um, yeah so I mean if you're listening to what Dan is saying and you're like yeah yeah invest in your relationships I've heard that before like no but I don't care if you if you know it are you doing it like at what level are you doing it you know and and I mean uh, how are you adding value to the people uh, in your network and how are you expanding your network how are you upgrading your circle of influence it's it's so 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 
uh, important. And it's not until you have, you know, you have a, a win that's such a big win in your life. And it's, it's, it's either through or, you know, uh, related to someone, uh, you know, that you have a relationship with. And, and usually because you've added value for them and, and they now want to reciprocate uh, that value back for you. So really, really cool, Dan. You said um, that better than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, so I, uh, I wrote a book. So <laughs> a couple, couple questions. I, I was actually reading that from chapter three now. No, but uh, I want to wrap up with just a couple of questions. Um, uh, I want two things. Number one, what is yeah. your, what's your number one goal? I mean, dude, you've, you've literally, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't know all the details, but I think you pretty much could live on a beach in Malibu the rest of your life. Like you're, you're, you've done extraordinarily well for yourself. Um, so at this stage, what is your number one goal what's your mission what's your purpose what is it that you uh, are whether it's like right now you're working on or or you know maybe big picture down the road well i mean i think what right now what i'm and and i think we're going forward you know it's something about when you get to the top of this hill yeah and you're standing there and you've kind of got there and and now you're like, man, I did everything I said I was going to do. I made it. I did everything I told everyone I was going to do. I've achieved all my goals or most of my goals. And you look down and you see all these people coming up the mountain and you're like, man, this is no fun being up here by yourself. Yeah. You want you, you just have this tendency and I've seen it over and over again. I know you've done it and a lot of these other people that I look up to have done it. And I'm really looking back to put my hand down there and pull people back up and and, and teach people how to do what I've done. Hmm. And so I've been, I've been, you know, I've been in this space for the past few years. I've been working on this space and I've been really inspired by Tony Robbins. I had the chance to, you know, be friends with Tony Robbins. And, um, I, I, I don't know if you know the story, but I, I saw him when I, you know, I used to listen to his stuff all the time. Yeah. And one day I saw him in uh, Mandalay Bay and I, I had to go up to him. I figured I'm never going to see this guy again, right? You <laughs> yeah. know, and I have to tell him what he did for my life. Like, wow. I, you know, I'm 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 in I'm in the four seasons of Mandalay Bay, right? Things have changed. <laughs> you know, it's not. Yeah. I'm not I'm not checking in at the twenty nine dollar hotel that has uses a real key anymore. Yeah, yeah Motel, Motel Six. Five star yeah. room. So I, you know, I saw him and I went up to him and I I, I said, Tony, you know, hey, I know you don't know me, but you know, I wonder if you just have like two minutes, I could just kind of tell you how you changed my life. Wow. And, uh, and I, he, he said, yeah, come over here, sit down. We sat down and like an hour, two hours later, wow. he, um, he shook my hand and I gave him my business card and he thanked me for telling me, sharing my story. And a few weeks, uh, about a month, month and a half later, uh, he called my office and I talked and I couldn't believe he, you know, I pick up, my assistant says, Hey, um, there's this guy, Tony Robbins on the phone. I was like, no way. <laughs> the Tony Robbins is on the phone for me right now. <laughs> I, you know, I pick up and I'm like, Hey Tony, you know, and he's like, um, Hey Dan, you know, man, what you shared with me that day, man, it's affected me, man. It's really reached my soul. And I'm telling you other people need to hear what you have to say. I mean, before, before I say anything, you can, you know, you can absolutely say no. I just want to let you know, you can say no because I can't pay you for this, but I really want you to be in my infomercial. And before you say no, let me tell you who else is going to be in it. Hmm. Uh, it's going to have Serena Williams, you know, one of the best tennis players that ever, you know, lived on the planet. Uh, I got I got Mark Burnett, the founder of Survivor and uh, Shark Tank and all these other shows. You know, you may have heard of them. And uh, and this girl Donna Karen, 
who created this other billion dollar <laughs> company. Um, so, you know, what do you think? And I was like, Tony, well, this, you know, you had me at hello. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you had me at my assistant said it's Tony Robbins. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, side me up, you know, so that was my relationship with Tony. And they just affected me so much. And I just want to be that person for somebody. Wow. And so I'm trying to I, I want to um, I'm, I'm putting together a program right now with my girlfriend, who's also an amazing entrepreneur. Uh, you met her, you met her too, right? Hal? Ildico. Yeah. Yeah. So she's an amazing entrepreneur who built a, a concrete company in Canada. And uh, I'm putting together a program with her and uh, called uh, um, Business Starts Now. Hmm. And we want to work with people, especially people who are at, you know, at that place where they're trying to either just start a business or they have started a business or they're thinking about starting a business and how to start right now where you are with what you have. I love it. So these people that are like, oh, once I get to this point, once I have more money, once I am older, once I like that are waiting and you're going to create uh, some some urgency. Business Absolutely. starts now. No, those are the guys that I mean, that's where you know everybody's been there. Everybody who talks about I talk to my friends all the time who always, you know, I've given opportunities to and just never they never take that step forward to take that chance because they're always and it sucks because they're secure in their job. But there's ways to do it where I mean I had a job for the first five years of 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 our business life. Oh, wow. I kept a job. Yeah. So I still worked at my job. I just created and especially now more than ever you can still have a job, a regular job and create a business. It's, I mean, I know guys that are doing, uh, you know, nearly a million dollars online and still have a regular job. It's although they shouldn't, you know, I mean, that's the first thing I tell them is, you know, as soon as you have the ability to, you know, that your time is worth more than, yeah. than, uh, then they're paying the money you. Yeah. Then the money you're making at your job, you should be, you should quit. But it's, you know, they're, they have good jobs. So, you know, one of them is an attorney and has a great job and he loves being an attorney. He loves doing what he's doing. But that's, uh, that's a lot of people need to get over that hurdle and know that you don't need money to start a business. You need a great idea. And a lot of people have great ideas out there and uh, they just are scared to take that step forward. And they don't have anybody to, I, I wish I had somebody to hold my hand or tell me the things that are going to happen to me you know, that might happen to me when I start my business. I didn't have that person. We had a lot of trial and error and it was only by, you know, being at the right place at the right time with the right mentality and everything coming together to, to make it happen. Um, but not everybody's going to, you know, have all those, uh, you know, everything's going to be perfect for them. And not that, not that everything was perfect for us, but you know, it's, it's, it's always going to be challenging. And if they can have somebody who can tell them the pitfalls and that they can call or, or, or send a, a message to and give them some answers. I mean, I want to be there for that person. That's, that's great. Is there anywhere, is that available yet? Is there anywhere people can get info on that? Um, if you go to, it's not, we're just now about to open the website and it's businessstartsnow.com and uh, look for us. We're, we're, we'll, We'll be up and running over here in the next month or so. Yeah, we're, this probably won't come out for a couple months, so we're actually. I bet it's. I bet it's. I bet it's live. If people are listening, business. It'll be live and now. ready to go. Businessstartsnow.com. Very cool. Uh, let's, man. You've given so much, dude. I, I've really enjoyed our, our time together. I'd love to to hear your best advice. Like I call this a writer downer. What What's the best piece of advice, Dan, that you've ever been given? It could be a quote, a mantra, a guiding principle, something that's significantly helped you on your journey that you can share with our uh, Achieve Your Goals listeners? 
Um, I think, can it be a book? Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that the, probably the best advice, and it's not just a book, it's more than a book because to me, I, I think I, you know, I had said before that relationships are the most important thing that in, in what we achieved in our business. Um, those relationships and how we created those relationships with people because it's, it's everything in business. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you'll be successful. And I read a book that someone turned me on to uh, 15 years ago, and I've read it 30 or so times since then. Wow. Um, how to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm, I've got it sitting right. I just pulled it out the other day because I was like, dude, I actually read that like 15 years ago, and I have not read it 30 times. I read it one time, and I realized wow. that I no, I mean, yeah, that's it's interesting. That's the book you said. I literally am looking at it on my. I just pulled it off the shelf the other day. So, well, you're uh, you're really good at that. I mean, you're you have most of those principles down, yeah. uh, if not all of them. You're, you. but it doesn't come natural to everyone to do what is in that book. And it's so, when you read it, it's, it's, it's just um, common sense most of the time. But you know, it was, this is written you know, nearly 100 years ago, and, it's, and some of it's you know, a, little, a little hard to get through, but it's when you realize the principles and how well they work, and I use them as homework, and I made everybody in my office read them. Anybody who talked to anybody, if you, were, if you talked in customer service, if you were a salesperson, if you dealt with people, you read this book. Every single one of them read this book at least once. Uh, I would try to read it every year. I haven't read it in a couple of years, but um, I uh, have read chapters. So I read just pieces of it um, here and there. Everybody, that well, there you go. The best piece of advice that you ever got was read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. and Or, or listen to them. I have it on like I have it on audio, I have it on book, I have it on um, iPad, I have it, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, I, and it's so important. And I can't tell you how much or how important it is for everybody who's listening to this podcast to, to, to read it or to listen to it. Yeah, or to reread or re-listen to it as I will be. So, and that that just was, you know, if, if if there was any chance I was going to take it from my shelf here and put it or from my desk and put it back on my shelf, uh, Dan, you just removed that as a possibility. So, uh, I appreciate that, <laughs> That's man. Good. And it's a foundational book. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, there's a reason it sold. I don't even know how many. I think tens of millions of copies. Um, it's timeless, uh, and it, and it is one of the best. So, if you haven't read that, get How to Win Friends and Influence People audiobook or or text. Uh, Dan, man, again, I could I, I could talk to you all day, and I, I know there's there's so many more uh, lessons and stories, and I know things we didn't even get to get to today. But uh, thank you for your time and and your wisdom and and sharing it with our listeners. I really appreciate you. Oh, thanks for having me on, Hal. I appreciate, it, brother. You got it, man. Well, hey, uh, goal achievers, you got you you heard it right here, man. Three the three keys from Dan always educate yourself and if you don't like to read books listen to audiobooks and if you want to kill two birds with one stone listen to audiobooks while you're working out like dan uh does or uh, or while you're in the car and dan i love podcasts that. And, po- podcasts. and podcasts podcasts are for, like podcasts are free podcasts why wouldn't you listen to podcasts it's crazy uh they're free and uh, dan though I, I do love that visual of you with your disc man on your hip 
<laughs> and like the big headphones working out, just pump, lifting, pumping iron in the gym. I, I, I got a visual from that. Uh, so always educate yourself, guys. Keep it, and you're doing it listening to this podcast right now. Second tip from Dan, adopt a no plan B mentality, right? No plan B. And it, Will Smith said it. Uh, he will, you know, that's, that's his key to success is that if you get on a treadmill with him, right, he's going to keep running until he dies or, you know, he's either going to beat you or he's going to die. But that's the only two things. He's not getting off the treadmill. There is no other option. There's no plan B. Full commitment. And then the third key, invest in your relationships. And the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, that Dan recommended, uh, that's arguably the most important book in how to nurture and create thriving relationships and create advocates where people want to help you and want to support you. And Dan, I would imagine that, you know, the relationships you had, and you, you kind of alluded to these people that wanted to help you, and, you know, you were blown away by the people coming out to, to support you and help you and give you advice or favors or whatever that helped you build this multi you know hundred million dollar company um i would imagine that book how to win friends and influence people probably had a lot to do with with those relationships being so so such thriving relationships would you say that's true a huge part of it and i would actually give all the credit to that book in a big way and i know charles would too um if he was here cool yeah yeah man all right, well, Goal Achievers, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. You know I love you and I appreciate you, and uh, I will talk to you next week. Take care. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. So what were your big takeaways with this interview with Dan? We want to know, just simply head on over to hellelrod.com slash 012 for episode number 102 and let us know what those big takeaways were or what you found most inspirational about Dan's story. As Hal mentioned, he is a huge UFC fan, but are you one too? Simply head on over to hellhorror.com slash 012 to let us know if you're a UFC fan, if you watch the matches, and who your favorite fighter actually is. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by going to hellhorror.com slash iTunes, hitting the little subscribe button, and leaving a rating and review. Rating and reviews truly are the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because they help more people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now until next week, it's time for you to go out there, take action, and achieve your goals. If you're looking to grow your business using podcasting, but don't have the time to edit the audio, insert the intro and outro, write up the show notes, post the episode to all the different sites, and do all of the ridiculous back-end work that's required, then you need yourpodcastguru.com, where you bring the content and we take care of the rest. We'll even co-host the show for you. 
Visit yourpodcastguru.com right now to explode your audience and crush it in the podcasting world.